So we are walking through the glorious gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 13. And today we're talking about end time issues, things, the end of the world. Um, in our world today, the whole like zombie thing is a big deal. Um, and, and if you talk to some of those writers, they'll say they get some of their inspiration from some of the end times apocalyptic literature in the Bible. We're not going to go there today, but we are going to talk about the end times. And the, the theological word for end times is eschatology. So it, it, looks, it looks like this. It simply means the study of the last days, the study of the end of the world, the end times. Now, there are uh, uh, two different bookends to the whole end times conversation or two different positions that I would really challenge us to avoid. These are, these are um, basically extremes, I would guess, would be a better way to put it. And the first one we're going we're gonna to call um, eschatomaniac, okay? These, these are people that would sensationalize the issues of the end times. There's lots of lots of scripture that, that people will, will read into and they, they obsess about the end times to the point where it is actually um, really unproductive and, and really um, annoying. It's so much so that so much so that Paul in, in, in Thessalonica or in, in, in Second Thessalonians 2 2 he says, um, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day that the Lord has come. Back in Thessalonica, believers were so caught up with the idea that Jesus was going to be coming again in their lifetime that they literally quit work and they just sat around and waited. Um, they were eschatomaniacs. And, and you might have some of these people in your life, they're just, they're all about the end times and it, it gets a little bit crazy. Now the opposite side of that is um, eschatophobia. All right, eschatophobia. It's the, it's the opposite. It's, it's like, this is the person that does one of two things. They either, they either um, hide from the discussion of end times, um, they don't think about it, or they minimize it and they, they would trivialize it as if it's not that big of a deal. Second Peter um, Peter warns us about this. He says, knowing this, first of all, that, that mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And so, so we want to avoid both of these extremes of being kind of a, a crazy about end times issues and, and making everyone think the way you think about the issues, and then the opposite side of either minimizing, trivializing, or ignoring it, like it's not even going to be there, because it is there, um, and we see that as we come to Mark chapter 13. There's a few other, I guess, points that I want to give you before we really dive into our text. We're going to be in verses primarily 9 through 13 today, but a few other things. I just want to say, I'm a little bit intimidated talking about prophecy and end times thing, and the main reason why is because I have just seen time and time again end times prophetic teaching divide Christian people and, and, and drive them apart, and, and pastorally, God's put a, a desire in my heart to, to unite his church, bring his church together. And, and, uh, and so when we come to issues like this, it makes me a little bit nervous. Um, we can't avoid it, but we also, we also need not divide over it. And, and I'm not going to be, when we go through this text, be able to do an exhaustive teaching on 
eschatology or end times doctrine. It's just not possible to do that. So we're just going to stick straight to Mark 13. But you need to know there's a couple things. There's, there's been, maybe some of you have been in the women's, I think it's a, a Tuesday night Bible study that's been going through the book of Daniel. Uh, that is coming to an end if it hasn't already come to an end. So too bad if you missed it. But it was good. Um, but Daniel is um, the, the, most, the book with the most prophecy in it in all of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4 is another chapter that really focuses on some of the end times doctrine. And then Revelation, all of the book of Revelation deals with end times things. And so that would be a great way to invest your time, your personal time with the Lord, your devotional time, looking into some end times issues. We're going to deal with the ones that are just right here in this check desk. But now, Mark 13, the reason I say this is some would say that this is the most disagreed upon text in all of the Bible. Many theologians will say that. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I, I do want to bring us back to the point that we shared last week, which, which is this, this kind of overarching rule when we come to end times thing, that the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. I love the Bible. That's one of the reasons why God has me where he has me. I love to teach it. I love to study it. And I have to admit that not everything in the Bible is is um, as clear as everything else. It's all equally important because it's inspired, it's God's word, it's there so that it can impact each of our lives and it can, and it can change and transform us. But, but it also, um, not everything is as black and white and as clear as some of the plain things. And we need to, as a church, make sure to keep a strong focus on the plain things. And there are some very plain things as it relates to end times teaching. And so let's just remember that. Um, another reason why this is a difficult chapter is because there's a mixture of both old and new, a mixture of prophecy that's already been fulfilled and some prophecy that is still to be fulfilled. And that to be fulfilled kind of prophecy is the stuff that a lot of people argue or disagree about. I'll tell you about some of those positions as we go along and what my, my views of those are, but that's just, that's just something else to keep in mind. So uh, a, a couple other fine points is that we need to remember that Mark wrote this gospel. He wrote this book to Christians that were being heavily persecuted in Rome. And, and so because of that, as we come here and we read Jesus' words, we can take likewise the encouragements that Christ offers to the persecuted Christians in Rome, we can take in our own world, in our own experiences, because we be, are today, and it will only continue as time goes on, continue to get more and more pushback for being, being vocal about our love for Jesus and our faith in him. So we, we don't know, of course, when he's coming back. That's where a lot of controversy surrounds. We don't know when Christ is, is coming back. But we do know that in the Bible, there, there are lots of verses um, on his first coming, Christ's first coming. But for every one verse there is in his first coming, which has already happened 2,000 so years ago, there's eight verses in Scripture that deal with his second coming. And that's exciting. I think that's exciting for us because it gives us an opportunity to know that there's something really good to look forward to. And especially, especially um, in a world, if we, if we are willing to be bold enough to, to watch the headlines and to see what's going on around the world, and especially as our world is more global, you know, you can see everything that's going on everywhere within a, an instant. 
um, and it can get really discouraging and really uh, uh, depressing, or maybe that's just me, but, you know, uh, I don't know, it, it can be that way, but when we, when we know the fact that Christ is coming again to gather his own, and he's going to bring a stop, he's going to bring an end to the, to the mess of sin and destruction and depravity, when, when we know that, um, what, what great resolve and charge that brings to us as, as his people, as well as a restored reminder of where we are to invest our lives, uh, our time, and our, our energies, our resources, because we know that he is, he is coming back. Now, um, lastly here, before we jump into the, the text in, in verse 9, um, history... History is it's a linear process, right? It moves like this. Um, it's not a, a cyclical process, although, you know, what's that, that saying? I, I didn't write it down. It, um, insanity is the... Oh, help me out. I, it, doing the same thing over and over. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same result. That's that idea. That if, a different result. Whatever. Expecting a different... I should just stick to my notes. Just stay right here. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is this, that we know um, in this linear process of history, there is going to be um, another event which will be a marker for what is to come next. And depending on your position as it relates to your understanding of God's word, it's really going to be most likely one of two things. There's either going to be the rapture of the church or there's going to be the tribulation period. And, and, and when we see either of those two things, uh, we'll know that from that point, the clock starts ticking as it relates to end times prophecy, and there are seven years uh, remaining um, on this earth before Christ comes on his horse with his elect to, to deal with the depravity. Now, let's get to this. So the three main positions, this might be even for some of you, I know we have a number of people in here that are new to faith, so some of this might be new, but there's three main positions on what's called the rapture. Um, this is where, where the, the believers in Jesus Christ are taken from this earth. Three positions as it relates to this tribulation. There's the called the pre-tribulation rapture folks. This is where the church is taken by Christ before the seven-year tribulation period. If you want to look into this, how are you doing? I, I got to say, I know, you okay? You following me? Okay, so the seven-year tribulation period, you can read about it specifically in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. It gives you a very, um, a very clear picture of what that tribulation period is. So you have the seven-year, the pre-tribulation rapture, people say that Christ is going to secretly call his own up to himself sometime before the tribulation, or before the tribulation begins. So that's that position. Second position is the mid-tribulation rapture. The church is taken up by Christ in the middle point of that. Now, the way that this works is we know when the tribulation starts because the Antichrist... The Antichrist will make a peace treaty with the Jewish nation, the Israelite people. And in that peace treaty, what will come is a time of peace. But in the middle of that peace treaty, that seven-year peace treaty, the Antichrist will break his promise to the Israelite people. And he will come in, he will set up his rule in the throne in Jerusalem. And when he does that, that's, we'll get to this next week, the abomination of desolation. That's what, what's coming next week. 
Um, but at that point, the mid-tribulation rapture folks say that that's when, when Jesus will come back and, and take his own. Uh, the third, the third um, position is the post-tribulation rapture. This is basically where the church is taken by Christ at the very end of the tribulation period. So uh, the way I'll, t- which is just after the seven years. So um, this is by far t- today um, the most popular and, and held position amongst evangelical Christian people. Uh, this one almost not, very, very few. And this one um, not as few as mid, but just about as, not a lot as, as many as pre-trib. So personally, my personal opinion is I am a post-tribulation rapture individual. Um, I haven't always been that way. I've always been a pre, but in studying the text of Scripture, I find that there's stronger evidence that we as followers of Jesus will have to go through the tribulation period if we're alive at that point. And I have reasons for that. Don't need to go into those reasons right here, right now, but I'd love to have that conversation over coffee with you and and tell you my my reasons and he's why but regardless um there are great orthodox bible believing christian people love jesus love the church love the the purpose of the church which is to evangelize the world that all hold differing views here Um, i do think it is important for christians to know what view they hold because what view they hold determines how they are going to live out their faith and that's really important. Um, but you can hold either any of these views and still have the smile of God upon you and do it with a very humble attitude, knowing that really no one absolutely knows what the right answer is with this. So those are just some, some things to kind of couch this whole end times talk. Chapter 13 we're going to start at verse 9, and, and before we read, Jesus has basically just left the temple after his final teaching, um, before he's going to go to his, his, um, his passion. He's going to go up on the Mount of Olives, and while he's up on the Mount of Olives, which is down through this little valley, he's going to look back on the city. His disciples, in verses 1 through 8, asked him, when, when is your coming? When is the, the end of the world? And so Jesus, in a very intimate way, sits down with his, his disciples and has this, this conversation. And when we pick it up, he's just basically told them, when you see all of these, these signs, earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and famines, know that this is the beginning of the birth pains. And then we pick up in verse 9 here. It says, But be on guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will, she will be saved. We're going to go through this just verse by verse, and as we do, we're going to see in this that there are some responsibilities that followers of Jesus are to embrace as we near the end times, whether that's in our lifetime or not, 
um, or whether we are in the end times and experiencing it, the principles are the same. And the first one is just, it's simply that, that hardships is a coming. Hardship is coming. It's first responsibility to embrace we see in verse 9 here. It says, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them. This idea here is that they'll be brought before councils. This is the, the Sanhedrin. This is a group of men um, that were religious leaders. Whenever there were a, 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 a Jewish area, they would appoint a Sanhedrin, a council. This could be up to 70 or so men that would make make judgments upon and would act as a kind of a governing authority um, amongst amongst a people group. And so they could even inflict punishment and jail time. The only thing they couldn't do was they, they wouldn't be able to, um, um, with capital punishment, they wouldn't be able to kill someone, but they could pretty much do any kind of other extreme. Uh, now, the, the other side here is you'll be beaten in synagogues, you will stand before governors and kings. So you, they would have this before the Sanhedrin, and then they're also going to have to be standing before, we would have to be standing before, the, the courts of the day, the ruling authority in the secular world. In our case, it would have been Gentile. In our case, it would just be our, our judicial system would have to stand before these different, these different courts. And, and I think what, what's important to remember is why is that the case? It's the case because we are to stand for Jesus. We are to be his disciples, his witnesses. And in some senses, the, the, the same word that we get the word witness from is the same word that we also get martyrdom from. Uh, so um, we, we see this prophecy in Scripture begin to be fulfilled as we read through the gospel or we read through the book of Acts. If, if you're a, um, a lady and you would like to attend a uh, morning Bible study, Thursday mornings, I believe 10 a.m. I'm not sure on that exactly. Look at the church calendar. Or ask Sander Fernanding or Aslan King, but there's, they're going to be starting up a study in the, the book of Acts, going through the book of Acts here in, um, in a, f- a few weeks. or it's some, It hasn't started yet, so, and if boys were allowed, I would definitely go because that would be awesome. But it's not a boy kind of thing in this case. So um, anyway, we see this prophecy fulfilled um, time and time again in Acts. I, I put the in your notes the different chapter headings for, for different people, but you have... Um, in Acts 4, Peter and John stand before the San, Sanhedrin. Acts 7, Stephen is arrested by King Herod and James is beheaded. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. Acts 24, Paul's tied or tried before the governor. And uh, in Acts 26, he's on trial before Festus the king, Agrippa. And in Acts 27 and 28, uh, he is sent by ship to stand trial uh, before Caesar and he remains in prison in Rome until he's executed. John, we, we, we know John was, he was boiled um, in oil for his faith and he would have been killed, but God preserved him uh, so that he could write us on the island of Patmos. He could write us the book of Revelation. So if you want to learn more, and I, I really highly challenge that you do, you want to learn more about the persecuted Christians today, you can go to persecution.com, which is the Voice of the Martyrs website. And it's shocking to see that there are over 100,000 people who are murdered a year currently for their faith in Jesus, where simply they they would be able to to survive another day if all they said to their captors, uh, to to those that are 
taking control of them, just deny Jesus, and they don't. We saw a great example of that with Herb and Linda Gregg when they were up here sharing their testimony. But anyway, that's, that's um, persecution.com. Now, uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, it says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All will, will be persecuted. That's not a maybe kind of command. And I know, I know this is not, I, I say this with a smile because I know the end of the story. But I also know that the walking in this is not an easy, an easy message to hear. But I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot harder to hear if we, we walk around and we just think that nothing's going to happen. We need to know what God says to us and how he prepares us. Uh, so there was a, a professor, his name's uh, Robert George. He wrote an article here uh, that was called Ashamed of the Gospel. And this is, I'm just going to read what he said. Um, he says, the days of acceptable Christianity are over. It's no longer easy to be a faithful Christian. They threaten us with consequences if we refuse to call what is good evil and what is evil good. They demand us to conform our thinking to their orthodoxy or else say, or else say nothing at all. The question that each of us must face is this. Am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to pay the price that will be demanded if I refuse to be ashamed? Am I willing to give public witness to the massively politically incorrect truths of the gospel? It then says it's easy. It's easy to be a convenient Christian, but it is not so easy to be a convictional Christian. It's easy to be a convenient Christian, but not a convictional Christian. And I tell you, we can't read the words of Christ and see anywhere in there that he is calling his people to be convenient in their following of him, but rather to, to live out of conviction. And one man that I know that um, lives out of conviction um, from afar um, is, is probably one of the most bright, the brightest minds in evangelical circles today. He has a blog. He's written a lot of books. His name's Dr. Albert Moeller. Uh, he is... Dr. Bob's former boss, he's still a seminary president, and he says there's three stages uh, to a moral revolution. And if you don't know this, um, we have gone through and are going through what is a moral revolution today. And the three stages that he says, he says, is what was at one point condemned is now celebrated. What was condemned is now celebrated. What was celebrated is now condemned And those refusing to celebrate are now condemned. See that? Have you seen? Paul talks about this as well. Where things that are right are wrong and wrong are right. In Romans 1, we see this over and over again. And so hardship, hardship is, is definitely a coming. And I'll tell you, there's, there was an unfortunate example. And I, I don't watch this show. I just say that because I don't want you to question my... my um, masculinity but <laughs> i watch hunting shows and you know dirt bike shows and things like that but um it's called the view have you ever heard of it <laughs> so so anyway there was a, a a really popular pastor from hillsong church in new york the hillsong new york his name's carl lentz and the view panel it's a group of women that that asked him the question they asked him um is in your church is abortion a sin 
And, and he, he responded. He said, you know, um, before I go telling people what is a sin and what isn't a sin, I, you know, I really think it's important that I know their name first. And this got this, and Blair, and he tried to keep talking, but the whole audience gave him a big clap and, oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. And, um, and then they kind of moved the interview on. And, and the message that was got was that he's the one that determines what isn't, isn't sin in his church. That is not what he meant. He actually, after the interview, got crucified in the Christian press and he clarified his stance that abortion is, is horrid in, in uh, God's eyes. But, and I get what he was trying to say, but in that case, he missed it. He had an opportunity to stand and say, you know, you know he, he, the way if I would be in his position, and I'm not a hip pastor in New York, so that would never happen. But if I was, um, the, the thing that I would hope that I would say is, um, yes, absolutely is a sin. Uh, however, Jesus calls us. He calls us to love people. He calls us to share the gospel with people. And the gospel is that the blood that he offered on the cross is what cleanses of sin. So, yes, if abortion's a sin, or and then list whatever ever issues might come up. But Christ is greater than all those things, and what he calls people to do is come under their, come under the blood of Christ and be cleansed of that sin. And so that was, I think, what he meant to say, um, but they, they trapped him. And, and that's just too, that's too unfortunate that that happens. But we are coming to hardships, and it's going to be, if he would have said that, he probably would have been booed instead of praised by the culture. But the culture is going backwards, and, and we know that. A second thing here, the second responsibility that we're to embrace, we see clearly in verse 10 here, and it's to preach the gospel. The gospel first must be preached to all nations, to all nations. This word first, it shows that this is to be supreme. This is to have a great deal of focus in the life of followers of Jesus. And in one sense, the gospel has already today gone out around the world, but, but this word specifically, nations, is referring to people groups. And I don't know if you know this, but there are thousands of still yet unreached people groups in our, in our world, thousands of unreached people groups. There are some that are end times escomaniacs that would probably say, and I've heard this this last couple weeks, that there's only... There's only um, by the year 2020, based on the current calculations, all of the unreached people groups, all of them are going to be reached. And that means that's when the, the clock will start ticking. That's when Christ will come back or whatever your view is on those kinds of things. I don't think that's the point. The reality is there's still unreached people. I, I happen to know a couple people in my world that don't know Jesus. I don't know about you, uh, if you do or not. But there's opportunity for us to, to do that. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, this basically means, as a church, what we did a few weeks ago, our missions team was so great in, in putting together that missions conference. And I think also, as a church, one thing that we need to always be putting before us is, is looking for opportunities to send out missionaries, um, to send out, to raise up people from our congregation to go and to take the message of Christ out to the world. And, and it's a great opportunity that we have. Um, one of the things that I think... I've been guilty of in the past, and I've since kind of come to know that it's probably wrong, or it is wrong, is, is the way that I particularly have viewed missionary work. And, uh, and it's, it relates to how we view missions. And 
there's been a big push that everyone is a missionary, that we're all missionaries. And in, in a sense, that's true. We all are to take the gospel out. But there is a place within God's plan for the, the church to be sending of missionaries. And, and, um, and that's because this word missionary refers to be, sending, be sent across a boundary or across a border to take the gospel to an area that has not been known or understood that the gospel has been. And so there's this new, there's this book. It's not new. It's been out for a year or so, but it's, it says this, when everything is missions, when everything is missions, and it addresses this, this problem, and it says this, if every Christian is already considered a missionary, then all can stay put where they are, and nobody needs to get up and go anywhere to preach the gospel. But if our only concern is to witness where we are, how will people in unevangelized areas here the gospel. And so I think for us as a church, it's just a great reminder for us as a church, we always need to be nurturing. And us with parents, we, we need to encourage our kids to tell them that they, you know, yeah, they're going to go and they're going to have careers and, and whatnot. But do we challenge them to ask the Lord, what is it that God is directing you to do? And I think as a church, we need to always be putting that before and, and challenging our, our young people to be thinking about missions uh, in the same way that we saw with a Bryce Musgrave. Um, as he went out on the, on the Logos Hope. And so that's why one of the reasons I'm excited about this, this OM vision trip that we've got coming, uh, because they're over half of the group that's going are, are teenagers. And I think that's an awesome, an awesome opportunity for them. And I just want to challenge you, whether I would say a challenge if you're younger, um, but even any of us who aren't younger anymore, challenge you to pray regularly, if not daily, um, how God would use you in missions efforts around this world. Uh, in Matthew 9:38, it says, "Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest field." So, our responsibilities here: we know that hardship is coming. We're to preach the gospel, and then thirdly, we are to get help from the Holy Spirit. Help from the Holy Spirit. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of suffering, as we, as we have to deal with difficulties, and especially as time continues, um, in, the, in the midst of all of these different things, it's, it's such a, an encouragement to know that when we get put in certain positions, and this would be true even if we're just sharing Christ. A lot of times one of the excuses that people will use of why they won't share Christ with someone is they don't have the right words to say. This is a great proof that that has nothing to do with it. We just need to be obedient to, to let our words to go, go out of our mouth and trust that God is going to, to, to translate them. He's going to make them come through to the people that we're speaking we're speaking to. And that's a great encouragement. We saw in Acts 4.8, Peter was forced in front of these hostile religious leaders, and it says that then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, in Acts 6, we read that uh, Stephen, right before he was stoned to death, it said, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So we as, we as followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit in us, and it's great to be able just to walk freely, unfettered, um, when we're, we're faced with difficulties to say, God, I'm, I'm expecting you to do the speaking at this point in time. As I hope my mouth, let the words be yours. Let the words be yours, not be my own. And then fourthly here, 
Fourthly, we, we see as a responsibility, verses 12 and 13, um, this is a hard one. Hatred. You say, this is a hard one. What's the rest of it, Ben? This is a hard one. Um, hatred will come from those that are close. Hatred from those that are close. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures, the one who endures to the end, will be saved. It was just, you know, not even a year ago uh, that we read about a father in Saudi Arabia who cut out his daughter's tongue and then burnt her alive because she professed Christ. And um, while most of us in our culture today, we really, we really desire to be liked, Jesus tells, that, tells us clearly that we will be hated. We will be hated um, by all. Why? For his name's sake. People will loathe us. And they'll hate us because we stand for everything that they are against, and we are against everything in which they stand for. And that's just a, that's a hard word. But, it says, but he, she, who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I got to say, this is my greatest desire. And as I pray through our directory each week for all of you that have your faces there or your names in the directory, this is one of the key prayers that I pray is that, that you will stand firm to the end. Whatever the end is, whether the end is just this life before you go to be with Jesus or whether we have to experience the end of days regardless. It's that we'll stand to the end because I know and see, as you do, how few people stand to the end. They, they, they peel off as time as pressures come or there's some excuses. Their, their roots don't go deep. They're not like the, the tree that's planted near the, 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 the riverbed where their, their roots are well fed. And so this is a major prayer is that we would be those that would stand to the end. And, and oftentimes, you know, people want to know, well, how do I know I'm really saved? How do I know I'm real? Well, the real proof you really want to know, you endure. You stick it out. That's the real, that's really the only very clear, and we see it right here. First um, John it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they were not from us but one of the clearest ways a person knows if they're um, they're saved i mean there's there's a few ways but i think we know this endurance is so key persevering through the tough times in life um, honoring honoring the lord when things get difficult through the hardships and rejoicing in those times even as james will tell us to do and, and this is, this is a tough, but, but it's what we're called to do. And, and really, as, as we know that the, the, the closeness of Christ's coming, um, it is coming close. How close? We don't know. But as it comes close, the challenge for each of us is that we would draw close to him, that we would walk closely with him, that he would be, he would be the number one, as we see in Revelation, that we would lose our first love for, for him just some walk-away examples. I don't have growth group questions because we're in a little break for growth groups for a few weeks before we start the next term. So here are just some application questions for, for each one of us. And, and one is just, as we have a picture that the end is at some point, is there anything in our world 
that needs to be rearranged, any priorities. D.L. Moody said, I've been working three times as hard since I came to the understanding that my Lord, he is coming back again. And, and the reality is when Christ returns, we've all heard it, do we want to be? Yes, we want to be worshiping. But when Christ comes again, um, what do we want to be doing? We want to be active or we want to be sitting on our hands? I, I don't know about you, but when he comes back, I want to make sure that I'm not nursing some grudge against somebody that I'm not letting some bitterness have a place in my heart. When he comes back again, I want to make sure I'm not dealing with with garbage in my marriage or in my personal life. Um, What is it for you? Is there any secret sin in your life that you don't want to be caught up in when Christ comes back? Are there any priorities that need to be rearranged? Another one, um, this is an all-the-time kind of thing. This is encouragement of one another who are the people that give you life who are the people that build you up that don't you know suck out all of your energy but fill you up because they 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 speak the word of god to you they encourage you Um, who are those who are those people first thessalonians 4 says it like this therefore encourage one another with these words and he's talking about end time stuff don't be so discouraged about the end time stuff like so like lots of us are going to need to leave this the sanctuary today and you're going to need to encourage each other because we're going to be like man i don't know i'm just like that was heavy but we get to encourage each other with the truth of the gospel that we that we live in light of the truth of of christ's second coming and that should be incredibly encouraged to us and then the third one is really practical Oh, I forgot to put it up. The, the really practical here, and I just want to, for all of us, just challenge you. Tell lost people about the Lord. And if you don't know how to do that, just tell them what the Lord means to you. What does the Lord mean to you? What has he done for you? And this can be done in, in so many different and subtle ways, and some people will, will receive it with gladness, and other people will reject you for it, and some people will just be indifferent. doesn't matter doesn't matter. We're called to be the type of people that will share the Lord, and we share it through our words, we share it through our life, but both have to take place, both our words and, and our life. And so um, this week, you know, these are some duties that Christ calls all his people to. Not just, this isn't just back, like some translators say, well, he was just talking to his disciples. No, 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 no. This is for us today, too, to endure the hardships, to, to encourage one another, to, to be ready for and looking forward to his second coming. Uh, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. They're going to close us out in song, and, and uh, I want to wrap up in prayer. Thank you, Father, for um, giving us your, your word. And, and uh, Lord, I do confess that this is a... This is a tough section of scripture, but I really ask, Father, that we would not um, we would not just think, oh, I can't understand all this, so I'm not going to think about it, um, or we think about it so much that we become unproductive in the rest of our rest of our relationships. But give us a, a sober minds as it relates to these these issues of end times, and um, put a great burden on our heart, a burden on our heart to make sure that um, we're looking to you for all strength, uh, that we're we're leaning on the fruit of the spirit. Uh, in our lives, and uh, that we are we're leaning on one another as well in this time. Uh, we th- we thank you. Um, pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you. That Lord, that you just would continue to speak to their heart and draw them to yourself. And I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of your Son Jesus.
And I'd like to just, as the band will take over in a minute, just um, pray this benediction from Titus 2 over us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works.